I want to invite all of you this morning uh, to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. We're looking at several different passages this morning. So if you have a handout today, that is golden because we're going to be uh, working through several different passages this morning. Some of the times we preach, uh, well, I'll preach, we'll zero in on one passage. Today we're going to highlight several different passages. And they're on the back of your handout. If, if you don't have uh, a Bible with you or a device that you can follow along, feel free to turn that handout over and kind of highlight different words. Circle them if you feel so inclined. Um, but we're going to work through the, one of the first primary passages we're going to look at is, is Acts chapter 4. Why are we doing that? I'll tell you why. Because I am thrilled about this study. Looking to Jesus, the founder and completer of our faith. Last week we started uh, this series. The next three months we are going to try to zero in on different snapshots of Jesus through the Scriptures. I hope your heart has been prepared for this. I mean, Hebrews says this, the author of Hebrews says, let us run with endurance the race that is before us. Here it is. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So, in these times of unrest, and I don't think a single one of us out here would deny the fact, you turn on the news for five minutes, we're in a bit of unrest. And we're not just talking about our country, we're talking about the world. Clearly in the Scriptures, we can, we can see how that unfolds. It's because of the garden fall. Sin. We see that clearly in the Scriptures. But very particularly right now, we're in a stage, a season of unrest in our country. Unrest. So what do we do? What is our obligation as believers? Well, here's our obligation according to the Scriptures. Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus and never stop looking to the Savior. Look at Jesus and look to Jesus and look to Jesus and look to Jesus. That's where we're at in these passages. Um, we want to intentionally fix our eyes on, as we looked at last week, the North Star of our spiritual journey. That is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We want to look at various passages, and that's what we're going to do today, of different snapshots. So if you would look at the back of your page, every one of these passages, think of it as... They're snapshots of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We're seeing a picture of how beautiful our Savior is. This morning, uh, we're going to... Dial in on looking to Jesus, the supreme rescuer. Looking to Jesus, the supreme rescuer. Thinking on Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, now traveling into these other passages. What do you think of when you think of rescue? Think about that in a very practical way. All right. Obviously, we know where the, the talk is going today. The sermon's going to go today. But in a very practical sense, when you talk about rescue or rescuer, where does your mind go? Uh, I was having a blast this week researching, reading about uh, different, di different rescues that happened in history. Some recent past, some far past. Um, as, as you go through history, you see these rescues by individuals or groups of people that lay their life on the line to see a rescue happen. 
Um, I was thinking, I came across this one. Actually, history.com has some awesome stories of rescue if you want to go there. This happened two years ago. Do you, any of you remember this story? This is 12 soccer players with their coach in Thailand. Went on an excursion, that kind of a fun team bonding thing. It turned into a, I mean, this is crazy. Two, 18 days. 18 days stuck in the far grasps of a cave. The cave filled up with water and they were stuck up in this little hole in this cave. Dozens of rescuers and divers. It took them 18 days to pull out all of these guys and their coach. And guess what? All of them came out. Maybe your mind thinks of that. Maybe your mind thinks of this rescue. And you recognize this picture? 33 miners in Chile in 2010. Remember this story? It was big on the, high, uh, the headlines. This group, 33 miners that finally came out. And when they brought the last guy out, all of the rescuers just cheered. So maybe your mind goes to that. Maybe your mind goes to this one. You remember this? Her name was Bev baby Jessica McClure back in 1987. I read this rescuer and my heart just, I mean, I just get claustrophobic reading about it. You remember this story? We're talking about a little 18-month uh, child. Two and a half days, 22 feet underground in an eight-inch well shaft. You remember that story? And after two days, the rescuer pulled her out. This is a picture of that. I don't know, maybe these thoughts are coming to your mind when you think of rescuers. Maybe this dude. Does anyone in this, re in this room recognize this guy? Anyone? I certainly didn't when I read about him this week. Okay, ironically enough, his name's Jesus. <laughs> We'll go with Jesus, all right. <laughs> but I love the story of this guy. In fact, I'm going to read it. Uh, Jesus Garcia, the man that gave his life to save a Mexican village, Jesus Garcia was just a railroad brakeman, but on November 7, 1907, he became a hero of one of the history's most daring rescue, rescues. That afternoon, the 23-year-old was resting during a stop in Sonora, Mexico. When the workers notified him, a fire had broken out atop of one of the train cars. Not super abnormal, but this was abnormal because, this was alarming, because Garcia knew that in that particular train car was the dynamite that was to be delivered to the mine. Rather than running and watching the dynamite explode the entire village, as his fellow workers panicked, Jesus Garcia sprang into action. He jumped onto the train alone and started to reverse it downhill. Four miles later, the entire train exploded. Sadly, all that was left of Garcia was a single boot. But he was not forgotten. The young brakeman soon became the legend Subject, uh, the subject of Mexican poems and songs, memorials to Garcia sprang up all over Mexico. So maybe you haven't heard of Jesus Garcia, but he's one of those rescuers that comes to people's mind. This is what we're talking about. We are inclined, we are compelled, and we are, we are thrilled to talk about rescuers. That's just who we are as individuals. Um, how many of you grew up watching this? 
every Tuesday night, 7 p.m., William Shatner's voice would come across. I'm just curious, how many of you grew up watching this? Does anybody else? Okay. Like 10 of us. No, I'm just... I love this show. I'd get my homework done as fast as I could so I could go here. William Shatner set up the next episode of Rescue 911. Okay, anyways. Children were incl- are inclined to think about that. I mean, think about the 1970s movie that came out. Remember this one? The Rescuers. Little Penny being rescued from Medusa. What about this one? David, when, a couple years ago. Not now. He's kind of outgrown that. But he loved, his favorite figure ever was Jake Justice from the Rescue Heroes. Our kids are inclined to think about this rescue. Our culture is geared towards thinking about rescues. I mean, there was a movie that just came out that I absolutely love. My friend Mike Peasy and I were talking about this the other night. All right. This guy, Desmond Doss, uh, somewhat of a passive uh, part of World War II, this private first class Desmond Doss, didn't shoot a single shot in... uh, Uh, Hacksaw Ridge is where it's at in the Battle of Okinawa. But he, through this time period of this battle, rescued 75 different guys, pulling them off that. Have you ever seen this movie? All right. Maybe I wouldn't suggest for all the family to watch and enjoy. It's a little bit gruesome. Nonetheless, this is a rescue that we're talking about. Our minds are inclined to think about this rescue. However, as I think about all of these Really enticing thoughts of rescue. This week, this is where my mind went. You ever seen this picture? I absolutely love this depiction. Yong Sung Kim, his recent portrayal of Jesus' rescue of Peter in Matthew 14. You know, I love that. You see Jesus' feet on the water, reaching down into the water as Matthew 14 talks, talks of. I love this because I think very clearly you and I can relate to this every single day of our lives. Drowning. Drowning in just the oppression of the world we live in. The brokenness of the effects of the fall in the garden. Seeing it all around us. I don't know how many times I turn off the news and I'll, and I'll only be able to watch segments sometimes because my heart is so full. I'm thinking, wow. I've said this several times, thinking this is the world my, my kids are growing up in? Overwhelmed and often even personally through the burdens of my heart and my personal sanctification and the battles with sin. I'm thinking regularly of Jesus Christ's own rescue of my heart. Rescuing me not only from the penalty of sin, as we'll see today, but from the power of sin. And eventually, not just from the penalty of the sin and the power of sin, but from the very presence of sin. So this morning, what we're going to do is highlight this rescuer, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As we look today, we're going to see this key idea as our faith is tested, it's very simple. As our faith is tested, we must look to our supreme rescuer. Jesus, the supreme rescuer, is very clearly 
described through the scriptures. So what we're going to do today is just look at this rescuer. Sometimes in our minds, I mean, next week we're going to look at Jesus the conqueror. And sometimes in our minds, we navigate right to the fact that he conquers sin, he conquers death, he conquers evil and Satan. And sometimes we focus so much on that that we forget that there's a Savior with his hand stretched out ready to rescue us. So brothers and sisters in Christ, for the next half hour, would you worship God based on the fact that Jesus is our rescuer? Let's look at this description first of all. Let's look at the first the fact that Jesus is the supreme rescuer who provides hope through his very name. We're just talking about not even a single action yet. We're just talking about the very name of Jesus. I love this because Peter, to the Jewish, the upset Jewish council in, in Acts 4, that are, I mean, Peter, the disciples have just thrown a rock in the bee's nest of the Jewish council. And Peter's unashamedly proclaiming this Jesus. And what does he say? You may be there right now in Acts chapter 4. Would you look with me at verse 12? Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says this. There is rescue. Okay? Our translations will say salvation. There is salvation in no one else. I mean, get this, brothers and sisters in Christ. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be rescued. We must be saved. So when we take a snapshot of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have to realize that this snapshot starts with the title. We're not even really looking at the picture yet. We're just looking at the title. Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. I think one of the best passages, if you can see this on the back of your handout, to depict this is a, is a passage we studied uh, back before our quarantine time in the book of Philippians. Philippians 3, verse 20. I think Paul, to this church that knew a little bit about military rescues, this church of Philippi, this church that, was, that Paul was continually compelling them to live a Christ-centered, gospel-centered life. And what does he say to them in verse 20 of chapter 3? Our citizenship is in heaven. Okay, we can just stop there for a second. Okay, we love July 4th. Do we not? We love the significance of this freedom weekend. Independence Day. I'm going to tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, where is our supreme citizenship? It is not in this country. It is not on this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. And then here's what Paul says. I love it. And from it we await... And how does he describe Jesus? A Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. Four titles he gives for Jesus Christ. Some of them, well, one of them we're going to wait and look at next week. Three of them we'll look at today. I just want to highlight this. In this verse it says, a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This Savior. What is Savior? I'm going to transition to this for a second. I think we're, we're tied up here. This Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Savior is talking about simply deliverer. Preserver. 
Here's the word that we're studying today. Rescuer. It can be translated in the English as rescuer. This is our Savior. I mean, this goes right to this verse. I'm trying to teach our little girls, even Emma, before we go to bed. I mean, there's a series of verses we're learning. One we'll talk about is this one, 1 John 4, 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father sent the Son to be the what? Savior of the world. That's what we're talking about. That's the same word. Not only Savior, but Jesus. This title, Jesus. What is this name? It is Jehovah is Salvation. In the Old Testament, so your Bibles, you'll see this name, and it is translated as Joshua. Jehovah is salvation. This Jesus means Yahweh rescues. Yahweh delivers. I love this because in, in Matthew 1, Joseph's trying to figure this all out. Mary's trying to figure this all out. And what does the angel of God tell Joseph? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. That is this Jesus. He is our Savior, the Lord, who we'll look at next week. Jesus, and what's the last title we, we, we find here in the passage, Philippians 3? Christ, Christos. Okay, what is this? It's the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Two times in the New Testament you actually find this Messiah. And it's written by John. John writing of this Messiah. I mean, when you think of this Messiah, it is the official, I love this, it's the official Jewish title for the chosen one. Think of it that way. The anointed one. There's not the anointed two or three or four. This is the anointed one. So when we're talking about our Lord, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, He is the Anointed One. In John chapter 4, Jesus Himself says this to the woman at the well. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The woman said to Him, I know that, here it is, that Messiah is coming. Here's what the translation from John is through the Spirit. He who is called Christ, there it is, Messiah, Christ, the Promised One, the Anointed One, when He comes, He will tell us all things. And what did Jesus say to this, this woman? I can see this with a smile on His face and a very meek, soft-spoken voice, I believe. Jesus looks at her with that love and grace in His eyes and says, I am He. I am the Messiah. I am the Promised One. I am the Anointed One. Anointed all the way. Through. I mean, we're going to look at this next week in Genesis 3. It's promised that this Messiah was coming. And all the way through the Old Testament of the Scriptures, all the way into the New Testament, you find glimpses and promises. Here's more about the Messiah. And here's more about the Messiah. And here's more about the Messiah. Until Jesus comes through Mary. We see this beautifully portrayed in the beginning of the Gospels. This Messiah is coming. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we think about Jesus as the supreme rescuer, we can't even get past His name before we rejoice in the fact that Jesus is the supreme rescuer. Okay, let's look at some more characteristics of this rescuer. Let's go to this one. As supreme rescuer, Jesus provides eternal deliverance to helpless captives. Would you go with me to Luke 4? On your device or your Bible or even on the back, I believe we have it on the back. 
As you're turning, let me just maybe set up this passage a little bit. One of my favorite events in my whole life was when Hannah and I were able to, was, was able to go to uh, Israel a couple years ago, and we traveled up to Nazareth, and they have like this, this, uh, this synagogue with you know, a modern-type look to it, but uh, rebuilt, obviously. It's not original to the time when Jesus was there, but they have this synagogue, and so you kind of walk in and see what it would have been like in this Nazareth synagogue, um, and then our, our, our group, our tour group, we were sitting around there, and the tour guy said, hey, Andrew, would you come up and read a passage? And in my mind, I, I knew this story, but it all came together when I opened the scroll and I read from the same, and it became so surreal as I'm reading from Isaiah 61 in the same town that Jesus would have read that. And I just sat down after that and my heart was overwhelmed. That is this story. All right. What is the setting of Luke 4? Very quickly, here it is. Jesus was officially beginning his, his three-year earthly ministry. He was starting into this ministry. Some uh, pre-story had already gone, gone on. Now he's traveling to different villages. And he's traveling to their synagogues and just talking and teaching. Walking through the Scriptures with different synagogues. Now he comes to his own hometown, which is Nazareth. And Jesus has some clear things to say about Nazareth and a prophet in his own country. And remember these, these passages. Jesus comes here to Nazareth. As was customary, if you came on a, on a Sabbath day, if you came and heard instruction in the synagogue, you would have someone, an attendant, that would help guide the service, the worship that would happen. And that attendant would designate someone to read the portion of Scripture. Well, Jesus, on this given day, was attending this given synagogue. And, and, and a lot of commentators will say there was a definite plan of reading in these synagogues. And on this day, when Jesus came to Nazareth to read, the passage was Isaiah 61. What does Isaiah 61 say about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Well, if you would read it with me, here it is. Let's start in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And here it is. I, I absolutely love this. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me. I'm talking about the Messiah, the Anointed One. He has anointed me to proclaim good news. This is the Gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord, uh, the year of the Lord's favor. And actually, he stops in the middle of verse 2 of Isaiah 61 very clearly. We'll talk about that another time. There was a definite purpose for him stopping there, I believe. What is this? I mean, we continue on. He rolled up the scroll. I just want to see a picture of this when I get to heaven. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant. He sat down, and the eyes of all of the synagogue looked at him. 
they were fixed on. And he began to say, he's sitting down, I believe. He's sitting down. They're all looking at him like, don't you have more to say about that? That's a pretty drastic claim you just gave. Here's what he says. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. I mean, you can imagine if you were there. What just came out? You're nudging people around you. Did you just see that? And they said, isn't this the the carpenter's son, Joseph? Okay, so what is this? In this dynamic passage written by Dr. Luke under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, what do we find? It's highlighting Isaiah 61 that the promised anointed one, the Messiah, is clearly the one who is the rescuer who gives, and here's the phrase, liberty to the captives. Think about this. Jesus comes to liberate the captives, as Isaiah so clearly says, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And actually, if you go back and read in Isaiah 61 through the translation there, you'll find this. To open the prison to those who are bound. You can't say it much better than that. He's opening the prison to those who are bound. That is the purpose of this Jesus Christ. This Messiah, as we look at a snapshot of Jesus today, He is the one who provides eternal deliverance for helpless captives. And we can talk about this for some time, but we're going to need to move on. I do want to say this, though. This really demands that we, and it begs that we talk about a couple questions. I can't just leave this here. Okay, today we need to answer a couple questions, and maybe they'll be answered in brief and kind of perk our interest to talk later. Uh, but here's a question Who are the helpless captives? It's in Isaiah 6, then again in Luke 4. In a very specific sense, this would be talking of God's chosen people. Isaiah was writing this to God's chosen people who are going through historic bondage. But in the broader sense, just kind of like what Grant said a minute ago, in in the much broader sense, guess what, brothers and sisters in Christ, this includes you and me. Over and over again in the New Testament of our Scriptures, we are brought into God's story. He is rescuing us. I mean, Ephesians says this. Paul says this in Ephesians. We who once were afar off, we're talking about Gentiles, are now brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. We are brought into the story. So last week we looked at the fact that that we're on this race. This week we're talking about the fact that you and I, we're in a story. I mean, your story and my story is being written right now. I mean, obviously God, before the foundations of the world, we see this clearly in scriptures, has this story planned. But now, right now, we are enacting this story. We are participating as subjects in this story, in the broad story of what God is doing in all of the world and in all of history. That is what's happening. So, who, is this, who are these helpless captives? I'm going to say, we are born into this world as helpless captives. To what are all humans captive? Scripture clearly says this. All humans are captive to sin, and because we're captive to sin, we are captive in bondage to sin's penalty. I'm not going to dance around this in any way this morning. 
Sin's penalty is clearly defined in Scripture as a place of destruction called hell. That is in your Bibles, and you do not have enough whiteout to take it out. When you look at the Scriptures, you see that we are all human captives to sin, born into this race. Paul so adequately says in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Right after he just said, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Our bondage to sin, and please catch this, this overwhelms my heart so, so often. Our bondage to sin is so severe that even with our best efforts to do good, we cannot break free and deliver ourselves. There's a bondage that we can never break. It is this sin. Last week I suggested that you read Genesis 3 in preparation for today. Well, actually I suggest it again next week because what this passage in Genesis 3 clearly does is it shows how Satan works his deceit to Adam and Adam's heart is, is turned towards this deceit, this sin. And from that, as Romans 5 tells us, it is passed on to every single human being ever born into the human race. So who are the helpless captives? We are. To what are human captives... Our humans captive, we're captive to sin. And here's this, how can helpless captives then be rescued from the just penalty of sin? How can we be rescued? You know the answer, because this is the whole purpose we're here this morning. How can we then be rescued? This is the same question that a, that a, a, a jailer was about to fall on his sword and he says, what can I do to be saved? Remember what Paul says in Acts chapter 16? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be rescued. So how, brothers and sisters, friends, can we be rescued? Here's the verse. But God demonstrated His love towards us and while we were sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Brothers and sisters, that is the story of the Bible. And that old, old story will never get old. It brings us into re redemption. It brings us into relationship with God. In no uncertain terms, the story of the Bible is this. Jesus provides deliverance to helpative captives. He delivers us from the penalty of sin, but I want us to realize that it goes beyond that. This rescuer doesn't stop with just the opportunity by faith to be delivered. We'll talk about this in a minute. By faith to be rescued. It's more than that, though. This Jesus not only provides the rescue from the penalty of sin, He's currently rescuing you. You ever thought about that? This Savior, Jesus Christ, is right now rescuing you. What am I talking about? Jesus provides present strength to battle sin. Not only is He giving you uh, rescue from the penalty of sin. Right now, He is giving you rescue from the power of sin. We've talked of this often. That sin that is gripping you right now. Jesus Christ provides that rescue to us. Uh, there's so many passages we could read on, on this, but I want to highlight one. Here it is in Romans chapter 6. Would you look at this snapshot in Romans 6? Paul says this in Romans 6 through 8 are so dynamic when it comes to how sanctification or growth happens in our lives. But starting off Romans 6, here's what Paul says to the Spirit, the inspiration of the Spirit as he pens these. 
What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Oh, by no means. And that's very strong language in the Greek. It's like, uh, meganoto. Don't, it's basically like saying, don't ever, 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 ever say it that way. No! Don't even think it. You say that to my kids sometimes. Dad, can I? Don't even think about it. I think about that with Paul in this passage. Hey, should we continue in sin that grace? Don't even think about it, Church of Rome. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know? I'm reading in verse 3 now. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, and we're talking about metaphoric identification. This is identification with Christ and salvation. Those who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. We've identified now with Jesus. So if we've identified with Jesus, what then should happen in our lives? Verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, here it is, we too might walk in newness of life. This Jesus who rescued us from the penalty of sin is right now rescuing us from the power of sin in our lives. I think verse 12 says that. If you kind of scroll down to verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Verse 13. Don't present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. Here it is. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but you are under God's grace. What are we talking about? What is Paul talking about in this? It's the same thing he talked about in 2 Corinthians. I put that passage on there. Paul to this church in Corinth who struggled with their identity in Christ. What does he say in 2 Corinthians 5? Therefore, you know this verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. That's where we're at right now. And Jesus, the righteous rescuer, is the one who is constantly guiding us through this. Daily, His hand is down in the water saying, let me pick you up out of that milieu of sin that you're, that you're waiting in right now. Let me walk with you through this battle of sin. I think He clearly says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. What does He say? The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to the obedience of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. What is this? Jesus is not simply the rescuer who has delivered us from the penalty of sin. Jesus is the rescuer who is presently delivering us right now from the power of sin. Okay, let's make this very practical. Very practical. That ungodly temptation that you're working through right now, guess who's given you the power to say no to sin and yes to righteousness? It's your rescuer, Jesus Christ. 
that unholy attraction, that unwholesome fascination, that sinful addiction, that unhealthy anger, that unguarded tongue. Brothers and sisters in Christ, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, Christ is right now offering rescue to you in your battle of sin. I would not be an adequate preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ if I did not bring that assurance to you right here, right now. That that battle with your sin right now, Jesus is helping you through that. Run to the powerful rescuer. A lot of times we think, oh, the Christian life is just hard. Can I give you this assurance? It's not hard. It's impossible. You can't do it on your own. It is only through Jesus Christ the righteous. Let's continue on. One more snapshot that we'll look at today. Not only uh, is this supreme rescuer, has he delivered us from the penalty of sin and the power of sin But He will deliver us. And I love this. Tears come to my eyes often when I think of this. He is going to deliver us from the very presence of sin. Past, present, and future rescuers, this Jesus Christ. I can't tell you how many times I've gone to this in my own mind through the struggles that we see around us right now. Running to this thought. That as supreme rescuer, Jesus will provide full restoration for His new creation. There's a lot of words I just put up there in that one sentence. But let us try to wrap our minds around that thought. At His first coming, Christ won the victory and paved the way for restoration of His creation. He paved the way for this. Now we look to the future through His promised return. And it is definitely promised we have a promised return Christ will fully rescue us he will fully deliver us from the very presence of sin basically this through Christ God will finalize the rescue plan it will be dynamically complete through Jesus Christ in the future and and sometimes we fail to realize the extent of this We kind of brush across this idea with just this pie-in-the-sky idea of heavens. No, what God is doing is He is creating a new heavens and a new earth. We need to understand that this new creation is significant. I mean, I, I was thinking this way of how to best take a glimpse of this restoration. I think the best thing to do for us right now Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Let's go to the end of our Bibles and look at a glimpse of what this is going to look like. What about Revelation chapter 21? The second to last chapter in that Bible you hold on your lap. John, old man John, the visions that God has given him through the Spirit to see what's going to happen in the future. And what does he see in Revelation chapter 21? I'll just read it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place, the tabernacle of God is with men. 
He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. I'm going to read verse 4. Would, would you read verse 4 in your mind with me through the, through the grid of what we've watched happen the last two months of our lives here? Verse 4 says this, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Praise Jesus for that. For the former things have passed away. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what is this? This is Jesus. Not just a simple rescuer that saved us from the penalty of sin or is saving us from the power of sin. This is Jesus that is going to completely restore His creation. I mean, when you read in the beginning of your Bible of this Eden, Adam and Eve were in this Eden, Garden of Eden, guess what God is through Jesus Christ returning us to? A better than Eden. It's going to blow our minds what God is providing through Jesus Christ in the full restoration of His rescue. That is what we read about in the Scriptures. What's the takeaway? Well, obviously what's going on right now, just look around us. I, mean, I just get so angry sometimes in my own spirit and I have to dial it back into this to look to Jesus when I think about what's happening in the world around us. In the broken world we live in right now with global sickness, with patterns and outbursts of, this is a word thrown around like crazy, injustice. With self-consumed fits of destruction, with unlawful killing of innocent peace officers. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we must look to Jesus. Yes, we support our government and our present, but, president, but brothers and sisters, we know this from the Scriptures that only Jesus will provide true rescue. Yes, we love our country, the good old USA, but we live for a greater country. Jesus' country. Yes, we work hard to pursue peace in our communities, but only through Jesus will we ever see true peace and eternal rest. It is only by looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. As Supreme Rescuer, Jesus provides hope through His name. He provides eternal deliverance to helpless captives. He provides present strength to the battle. He provides future restoration for His creation. Jesus has provided rescue for the penalty of sin. Jesus is providing rescue from the power of sin. And Jesus, praise God, will one day provide rescue from the very presence of sin. So what? I just said a lot of words. You can tell I get fired up about this. I love talking about our rescuer, Jesus Christ. I look forward to this moment all week long. It's like game day. What's the so what, though? How is this going to change our lives this week? And I think as we think upon the so what, I think we have to ask this question. I have to ask this question. Have you placed your faith in the Supreme Rescuer? You. There's children here that are listening. I want to assure you that this Jesus is worth it. There's young people here right now 
in your life you're debating whether this Jesus is worth it. I'm going to tell you, He's worth it. He is a worthy rescuer. He can redeem you from that sin in your life right now. Honestly, teenagers in this room, you and, and young adults, you're the ones that I, I get the most burden for so often because you live in this world where you, you know one of us would stand up here and preach, you live in a broken world, and you're like, no, I don't. I got my phone, and I can swipe, and I can punch buttons, and I got everything I want. Order any clothes I want, and you have not truly, some of you have not truly, including myself on this, you have not truly gone through the effects of sin from the garden. I'm going to tell you, as we look around the world around us right now, we see evidence of brokenness. And what has God done through history? He's constantly brought people to the realization that they need someone bigger than themselves. They need Jesus. Teenagers, you're seeing brokenness in this world right now, rioting. And you're seeing pandemic. Guess what? The only one that can set this world back right is Jesus, the rescuer. And guess what? This Jesus can save your soul. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, the Scripture says. Will today be the day when you are rescued by Jesus Christ? Oh, don't delay. Come to Jesus in faith. Another question I have as we wrap this up. Here's the question. Will you daily look to the Supreme Rescuer? Okay, so yes, we look to Him for saving us from the penalty of sin, but guess what? This week, we have to look to Jesus every day for rescue. Those issues in your home right now, you can't fix those. It is only going to be Jesus. That welling up of anger in your heart that comes out of your mouth sometimes, guess what? You can't fix that. Jesus is the only one that can fix that. We need a revival of believers who are committed to daily looking to their Savior as He rescues us, not only from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin. Looking to His supreme example, looking to His encouragement, His empowerment, His word, His grace in the battle, His hope for a broken world. I kind of faked you out because I do have one other question. Here it is. What are you doing right now to lead others to look to Jesus, the rescuer. What are you doing right now in this broken world? To lead others to look to Jesus. Pulled out this little gadget. I don't know if you can see. I'm going to start over there on that. Can you see that red light? Anybody see that red light? Yeah, I'm going to move it this way. I'm going to kind of keep moving it this way. Can you see it up on the wall? Yeah, I'm going to move it right like this. What have I just done? Okay, that was a rather simple exercise. You know what I just did? It caused all of us to look to the cross, Jesus Christ. Amen. What are you going to do this week to be that light that causes someone in this world to look at Jesus? I was overwhelmed with one of the great hymns by a lady by the name of Fanny Crosby. Blind. Here's what she says in one of these hymns. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Snatch them in pity from sin and the grave. Weep or the erring ones. Lift up the fallen. Tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. Rescue the perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful and He will save. 
What are you going to do this week to lead someone to look more clearly at a great Savior, Jesus Christ? Brothers and sisters in Christ, as our faith is tested, we must look to our supreme rescuer.